Welcome to the Muddy Waters of Freedom with your hosts, Matt Wright and Mohammed Shaker. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to the Vanguard. For Muhammad, I am Matt, and together we are traversing the muddied waters of freedom. First and foremost, we must thank Low Tide Kava Bar for the kava we will be drinking on today's show. So thank you to Sean Simpson and all of you at Low Tide. And Justin. And Justin. Always thank you to Justin. Shells up. Bula. Bula. I forgot to share our video today. You could share it. How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I am doing all right. Um, yeah. I went to go see uh, three movies in the last week. T2 Transpotting? Yeah, T2 Train Spotting, which if you want to um, just have a pit put into the middle of your stomach, you uh, should definitely watch that. Cause Why does it put a pit in your stomach? It. I saw you post about it, so I knew that was one of the movies. Oh, yeah. No, it, um, I walked out of that movie wondering where I had failed in my life. Why? I don't know. It was just... It was just like, man, what, what have I done wrong? Why am I still here? Why have I not made more of my, so like, it, it hit me hard. Okay. Well, what's, okay. I don't know, man. So what's the movie about? Okay. Well, do you, did you ever see the movie Train Spotting? No. Okay. Well, Train Spotting is about, about a bunch of, uh, heroin addicts in Scotland. Okay. And it's about them, um, just their lives and all the stuff that they do and, you know, they're like, oh, we're going to get off heroin, and then they get back on heroin and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not even going to put a thing on. I'm just going to post it. Um, but we, uh, but they, um, it goes through their entire lives and them trying to better themselves and then not bettering themselves and how it's kind of always how the drugs bring you back in. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that movie, you're like given like this small glimpse of hope that, you know, things get better. And then they made this movie, which is 20 years after the first one. And none of their lives are better. And it's just, I was watching that movie and I just felt awful throughout the entire thing. I was just, and cause not all of it correlates with my life, obviously, but there were many parts of it where like when I was, when I watched the first one back in the nineties, um, I remember thinking I definitely don't want that to happen to my life. But then throughout, you know, all of my drug use and alcoholism and everything else, a lot of that was happening in my life. And so then I watched this one and I, I was able to draw parallels between myself. I almost said my character, myself, <laughs> my actual self and Ewan McGregor's character. And, um, like I just got out of that movie and I was just, I felt like I had not succeeded at all in life. But then later I was reading an interview, uh, from one of the, uh, one of the other actors in the movie, Robert Carlyle. And he said, when we made this movie, when we were done, the point of it, we realized was that 
a lot of people were going to be leaving the theater saying, what the fuck did I do with my life? Mm-hmm. And I went, wow, you guys, you guys just nailed it. Yeah. Nice job. If that was your goal, you, you, you crushed it. Cause that's how I left feeling after yeah. that movie. Uh, I want to try something new, man. Okay. Um, I do want to, I do want to see the browser while we're doing this. You want, oh man, you want us to look at ourselves? No, it's to see, we can handle it. It's just in case anyone's talking to us, I do want to see any commentary that may show up. Okay. Which for whatever reason, it says two comments right there, but we don't see the comments for some reason. Um. Oh, there we go. There you go. Are those socks on your microphone? Yes, yes it are. is, Wally. Yes. <laughs> Brian. Yes, Brian was a defense contractor with me when I was in Kuwait. I was just wondering the same thing. While <laughs> uh, there's no reason to buy the foam yet. I mean, we will one day. I mean, I can afford to buy them. They're like. I don't know, I think like $10 each, but socks work. And the guy that knows a lot about these equipment says socks work well enough. So I decided we're going to stick with the socks as long as humanly possible before we uh, move on to the better um, equipment equipment of yeah. foam. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're yeah. just being economically feasible. Hey, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're being fiscally responsible. Yeah, we are. Like the good libertarians that we are. Brian would disagree because he thinks we are uh, selfish, greedy bastards. But I still love Brian. Well, you know. Um, <laughs> you're going to make this episode so hard on me because I know that I am right there. Well, don't look at it. <laughs> I'll, I'll read it because I want to read it if, in case anybody says anything. Brian and I used to actually argue on the bus when we first met. I think, I think Brian, yeah, Brian wasn't training with me when we first got to Kuwait with Triple Canopy. And I think from when we met and started talking politics, we realized we were both different. Uh, so we had been arguing politics ever since I met him in 2013. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, the world, the word is, the word is frugal. My accent came out. <laughs> Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, I went to go see the movie Free Fire. Okay. What's, I don't know. What's that one about? Okay. So that one is about a gun deal, an illegal gun operation. I think, uh, like the IRA is buying guns from the South African and, and, uh, the, that's it, not real, right? Cause it makes no sense to me. Well, no, it's a movie. Okay. Um, <laughs> Well, it could be based on real events, and I was like, why would they go all the way down there? But Well, no, I think it takes place in America. Oh, makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they uh, it takes place in America, and, a, and an Irish guy is buying weapons from a South African guy. And the it, something happens in it, and the entire thing turns into a shootout for an hour and 45 minutes. And it's... It's hilarious and violent, and it was a fun movie. That's good. Yeah. 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 And your third movie? Uh, the third movie was, what was that movie? I went with Justin to go see that movie. I don't remember what movie that was, but I remember liking I guess, it. Oh, I was going to say, I guess <laughs> it wasn't that good then. No, I remember liking it. I don't remember what the movie was, though. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't. I don't really know what else. I was gonna go see a movie this week by myself, and I didn't 
see anything that popped out. And I, it was a work week, so I wasn't going to go out at night. That's when I prefer to go to the movies. Um, so I didn't really go see anything. But I think there's still a lot of movies out there I haven't seen that are still in the theaters. Like the one uh, that... Um, I forget his actual name. Key uh, is the producer of, I guess, oh, or the writer. Out. Get Out. Yeah, I guess Get Out is still in the theaters. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I think, well, I think it's in some theaters. That yeah. movie was really good. Yeah, that's that's what I've been hearing. Um, but yeah, it was actually a pretty uh, boring week. Yeah. 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 I mean, most are. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, so, I guess we should just get into it. Yeah, yeah. All right. It's the most, I guess it was the most boring week out of all I know, weeks. I know. There's well, I really didn't do shit, so there's really nothing to talk about. Right, yeah. I had I a mean, hard time at work, so I was, it, this whole week fucking sucked at work. Yeah? Yeah. What Every happened? fucking day was bad on its own on top of the bad week. <laughs> Progressive liberals agree, uh, lift live fire was that the one you were just talking about the second one live fire uh, free fire free fire brian <laughs> <laughs> and thank you they were pretty good political arguments until we both uh left kuwait and had to do this on facebook <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then they just got real boring because <laughs> we're both hiding behind our computer screens and um keyboard warrioring at each other <laughs> Like like a good libertarian, you're being a keyboard <laughs> warrior. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, nothing nothing specific. It was just a pretty stupid week altogether. Um, but then, you know, I don't know. It ended okay, so that's all that matters. You right. know, I'm still alive. Well, that's good. Yeah. That is good. But not as good as Trump's first 100 days. <laughs> Perfect segue into our first wow. topic. <laughs> uh, oh. Yeah, not 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 the best first 100 days, although I was recently told by my co-host that <laughs> shots fired. <laughs> I was recently told by my co-host that it is the second highest amount of executive orders signed. No, it it was the uh it, it was the most amount of legislation passed since Truman. So, as in Congress. Yeah, he passed 23 bills. Technically, that's a okay. That's actually pretty good. That's I mean, that's not really yeah. That's I mean, not as much Trump as it is the Republicans winning a bunch of seats. But that's cool. Okay. Well, I don't know. I can't of, remember all the big bills, but yeah. Right. Well, most of it, the majority of them were. Um, I can't remember the term for it right now, but they were uh, just undoing things. Was the majority of it. It was just they were undoing certain parts of Obamacare and overturning certain parts of the Obama administration. Um, and then there was a bill to let gen oh, yeah, generals like, who weren't retired for seven years be in the cabinet. Okay, makes Stuff sense. like that. Yeah. And I think I saw that net neutrality also was on the chopping block. Yes, it is on the chopping block. I don't believe it's passed yet. No, not yet, it, no. But mm -mm. it is on there. But in... As we were talking about the other day, the the first hundred days, and Trump did tweet about this. He did say that you know the first hundred days is a silly benchmark. 
he said that it's stupid and it's I do think it's a silly benchmark. Um, he's he's got four years to do it. He needs to, in my opinion. Right, and the first hundred days. Uh, well, really, first three because the last one you kind of get into campaign mode. Yeah, unless unless you're not going to run again. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the first hundred days was. It wasn't even a thing. Well, let me make a comment about what you just said. <laughs> unless he's not going to run again. Uh, there was uh, he was interviewed, I think, with CBS. Uh, and he said, I did not, I didn't think it was going to be this hard. Yeah. You read that. <laughs> yeah. He said that this was a lot more difficult than he thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, no shit. Yeah. No, no it, shit. You're it's, running you're the president. <laughs> right. You're running a nation. Yeah. Says he misses his previous life of leisure and not being watched. I guess it's more the control, not being watched so much right. um, by the Secret Service and having to do something all the time. If he doesn't like it, he he could just choose not to run. That kind of opens up a better uh, <laughs> Republican to uh, hopefully beat whatever the next choice is going to be for the Democrats, which might be somebody that would beat him if he ran again, if it's Tulsi, Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Who I, if I were placing bets today, that would be where my money was. Is Tulsi yeah. Gabbard in twenty twenty? Yeah. Um, personally, so far I haven't seen anything um, too inspiring from Trump's first one hundred days. Anyways, no. Um, but I mean, the first hundred days. In all fairness, the first hundred days don't matter. The only reason that people use it as a benchmark is because of FDR. Okay. And when FDR became president in nineteen thirty three. He did so much in his first hundred days that people were like, this, this is the new benchmark. Like the, you know, we need to make sure people are doing, you know, that our presidents are doing a lot in the first hundred days. Yeah. And then they can take a break, right? <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but while, but that was a progressive era. Like that was a huge progressive Democrats era. and Republicans were both really progressive at the time. Right. Trying and to they were just passing everything yeah. back then. Yeah. There was even a story I heard this week. There was even a story I heard this week about um, back then a bill was being <laughs> written. Sorry. <laughs> Brian Schaefer says it's an audio conversation with Reuters. <laughs> is it the second is, time <laughs> someone said that? <laughs> th this is why I didn't want that up. <laughs> but I like I like reading it. <laughs> um, but yeah, during... Uh, See, you made me lose my police, you dick. Um, <laughs> they uh, they knew a bill was coming down, but it hadn't been written yet. So Congress passed a rolled-up newspaper because they knew the bill was going to be good, even though it hadn't been written yet. Oh, okay. So, like, <laughs> right now, the first 100 days, like, if somebody's getting a lot done in the first 100 days, odds are they're going outside of Congress and they're executive ordering it or whatever, and they're basically acting as emperor-in-chief mm -hmm. as yeah. opposed to following the Constitution. That's why the first 100 days really, in my mind, doesn't matter. Because if you, if you don't have a very active first 100 days, personally, I think it's because you either have a combative or an ineffective Congress, kind of like what we have right now, uh, you have a president who cares about the Constitution. Well, it's not a combat. What I don't. We have the majorities as Republicans. I don't think we have a combative Congress. I think we have an ineffective Congress. 
No, we just have the House Freedom Caucus that's cock blocking a lot of his bills. Or you have well, or you have Paul Ryan who's not passing bills that the people that voted them in want. Okay, I guess that works too. Right. So I mean, it's it really just depends on which way you look at it, which is why I look at it more as an ineffective Congress, not a combative one. But yeah, there yeah. have been times in history where a combative Congress won't pass what the president wants. Of course. So. And I think that's going to be a that's going to be a theme from now on. To be honest. Oh yeah. Every time you have one party controlling the executive and one party controlling the legislative. It's always going to happen like that. Right. Yeah. Um, either you have a president who's willing to follow the letter of the law of the constitution, which we don't, um, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, we just basically have an, an effective president, which I, I'm still not a hundred percent on like, I don't think he's very effective, but I don't think he's an ineffective president, but it's only been a hundred days. I don't think the, um, I don't think the partisanship in Washington is combative, Brian. I think the house freedom caucus, which is the Liberty wing of the Republican party, I guess is the combative part, but they're not really partisan. They're just philosophically different than the rest of the Republicans. And they're going to be doing whatever they need to to make sure that um, liberty is at the forefront of any type of bill that's going to be passed or um, put forward. So uh, that's really my point of view on that. I don't, I don't think it's that combative, in my opinion. And um, yeah, I guess the first 100 days benchmark thing is kind of silly too. It might even force these presidents to act a little bit irrationally to kind of. Um, try to ram things through and show how active they can be in these first 100 days. Right. Um, a little silly. Right. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It just seems like you're just going to start force feeding bills and just forcing them through. And if bills aren't working, you're just going to executive order it just so you can say, look at what I've done in the first hundred days. Like the travel ban. Right. When it first, when the very first, uh, travel ban portion was um or executive order was signed in it had a lot of very um unfair parts of it that ended up being rescinded because of how stupid they were like with green card holders for example that were overseas already but they're they're already green card holders so it's like they didn't even think through what they were doing um so yeah i could i can definitely see that yeah right so that's why the first hundred days is a pointless benchmark that doesn't even really matter. And all it does is help perpetuate an elected monarch. So what do you, th what do you think overall about his first 100 days? I guess our first 100 days, I guess, since, uh, he got elected. I don't think it was any, it was too different from the last hundred days of the last guy. Yeah, you know, I I don't I don't I don't need I I really don't either. Um, aside from he seems to be a bit more war hawkish towards Iran, Syria, and definitely definitely North Korea. Um, it still seems like business is business up in Washington. Yeah, more or less. I mean, he's in his first hundred days. He's come out and he has said that healthcare is more complicated than he thought which means he's probably not going to be able to repeal uh, Obamacare, like he said. Uh, he 
said that the that what did he want uh, currency manip- he wanted to classify China as a currency manipulator. Mm-hmm. And I saw he, that. Yeah, now he's backed off of that. Um, NATO is not as he's saying that NATO is not as uh, useless as he said it was. Which and, makes me want to ask how he came to that conclusion. Right, exactly. And nothing really happened involving NATO that would bring me to that conclusion, to be honest, but okay. And then he's gone on to say during the campaign, he was a nationalist. And now he came out in a interview with the Wall Street Journal this week and he said, <laughs> I'm a nationalist yeah. and a globalist. It's up to me to make that decision. Believe me. I believe you. I, <laughs> You're right. It is up to you to make that decision, but you have to make it. You yeah. can't be both. No, you can't. You're either a nationalist or a, or a globalist. Right. Like, yes, you are right. We do have to believe you that you have to make that decision, but you have to actually make that decision. Yeah. <laughs> I really do wonder how some of his biggest fans reacted to some of this i didn't see many of it uh conversation wise on my facebook but i'm sure many people were butthurt about him saying that unless they do the typical hardcore trump supportive thing where they say well he's playing the game Mm -hmm. you know every everything the guy says or does is playing the game but we also have to believe him it makes no sense I voted for Trump because I believe what he says. Uh, he says what's on his mind, you know? Right. Shit makes no sense, dude. No, it doesn't. Just because somebody... I mean, Bernie Sanders said what's on his mind, but doesn't mean I was going to vote for him. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Which, um, Bernie Sanders, oh my God. I saw an interview with him saying, you know, I don't know. Maybe he could have won if it was him against trump but i think it would be silly to act like the republicans didn't have anything on bernie they they could have thrown at him i i think they didn't of course course they did yeah i think they absolutely must have yeah of course right you don't fire all your bullets right away no so considering he wasn't even in the running um they wouldn't have used any of it like for example the the footage imagine them just playing the footage of him saying that people standing in bread lines was a good thing, if you've ever seen that one. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just one of probably many things they could have used against him. I mean, the deodorant thing could have been used against him. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's a bunch. I don't know. He probably, um, considering how, um, see, I don't know. The Libertarians got a, a little bit more votes this last elections. I don't know anything about the Green Party numbers. But I don't know if it was enough. And I don't know if enough of those people were Bernie people voting for those two sides that brought him out. Oh, so like the people that would have voted for Bernie if he had gotten the Democrat? If they yeah, instead, yeah. So instead of voting Hillary, they just came to the LP or the Green Party right. for that election. I think that had that been spread out across the entire country, it may have done it. But I'm betting that many of them were in the states that Hillary already won. May, yeah. 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 That, I guess it does make sense. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it just would have been a popular vote versus electoral vote again. <laughs> yeah. Again. <laughs> again. <laughs> but 
So I guess the biggest thing I see different from um, with Trump is his hardcore war stance recently compared to Obama, at least on new fronts, like trying to get us more involved with Korea, definitely Syria, Yemen. He sent in a team of uh, Navy SEALs. Um, he's cozying up to President Sisi of Egypt, which doesn't really look good for us, in my opinion. It can, but in my opinion, at the end of the day, it doesn't for people watching us from the outside. Um, it's the whole, you know, people say, well, it's our national interests. And you can only use that excuse so far. And you can use it really as long as you want, but also as long as you realize that you're okay with the typical Middle Easterner or even people outside the Middle East, but definitely Middle Easterners looking at the United States as a country, as culturally as the West, as a democracy, as these um, self-assigned protectors of the world and that they get to do whatever they want in the Middle East. That's why it doesn't look good for us. And that's why I always disagree with that type of rhetoric because... I hear what my parents say when we're wa- when well not we when they're watching satellite television, watching Arabic media uh, from family overseas. Uh, the questions all the question always comes up of why is America always getting involved in the Middle East? Why are they allowed to do this? Blah 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 blah, and that just doesn't look good on us. And that's one of the things that would end up influencing um, blowback. Right. Um, but other than that, I don't see much of anything really that I would consider amazing out of Trump in the first 100 years. Um, 100 days. 100, yeah, 100, 100 years 100, even. Hun- yeah, yeah why not? Um, <laughs> I mean, in his first 100 years, I'm certain, like, he's done some pretty impressive things in I his first 100 would, years. I would hope so. Hope when World War Three, I don't know. Right. <laughs> And four. <laughs> uh, that one will be fought by sticks and stones. <laughs> Isn't there a uh, Cards Against Humanity card? And it's like, World War Three will be fought with nuclear weapons. World War Four will be fought with... And then everybody throws down their card. And it's... I think so, but uh, the quote, I think, is originally Albert Einstein. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it is a real quote. <laughs> yeah. I know it from Cards Against Humanity because I used to play that game a yeah. lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good game. <laughs> no, that was because he saw what nuclear weapons were going to do, and he says, hey, if the whole world blows itself up in World War Three, that's what the next one's going to be, sticks and stones. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. But speaking of World War Three, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in World War Three. Um, speaking of World War Three, the brinksmanship in North Korea continues to escalate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and North Korea yesterday, Friday, for those of you not listening on Saturday, um, the uh, the North Koreans uh, tested another missile. Yeah, which once again fizzled out miserably. <laughs> um. So they had another failed missile test. We moved a, another warship up into the Japan Sea, I believe. Up, well, yeah, Sea up, of Japan. Yeah. Sea of Japan, yeah, up into the Korean Peninsula. And 
at this point, I don't really see how this doesn't turn around. I don't see this just fizzling out. I don't. I mean, but that that's that's what that's what brinks, brinksmanship is. It's uh people up in the ante vocally until one person backs down. And if nobody backs down and one person takes it too far or one person mis- misinterprets what the other person is saying, then they'll attack. So it's really the same end game. Right. If your if brinksmanship fails, there's going to be war. Um, and no, I don't, I don't see that happening either. We're already hundred days into this thing, and he's already lobbed tomahawk cruise missiles, sent a Navy SEAL team in, um, and sending our Navy sailors in their boats all around the uh, Pacific. And some people are hailing this as a good thing, but I don't even, I don't even understand that portion because, and I, I guess I've made this argument a few times now. Why is it okay for us to be in other people's spheres of influence when the Soviet Union put nuclear missiles in Cuba, Cuba. in our sphere of influence, in a communist country? Um, we reacted swiftly right away because that's not really the right thing to do um it's this is our area stay out of it why is it okay for us to throw up all these bases around all of these countries as in iran russia north korea etc etc um why is it okay for us to do this and put them on their heels um putting our boats all around them and act surprised when they want to show what kind of strength they have <laughs> to deal with us. We're encouraging it. Right. Which, I mean, I know, I, I know the argument on why it's okay. I don't agree with the argument, but I, I know the argument. And the argument is, you know, somebody needs to be the police of the world. Some, I don't even like to say that. It's in the Bible. Right. <laughs> I don't even like to say that we, that we like to be the police of the world. I don't like to say it's we like to be the babysitters of the world because, you know, it's like, oh, we're watching over everything. We're going to make sure it's okay. And if you're not doing okay, we're going to make you sit in the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you act up too much, that's when we're going to start spanking. Um, but we... uh you know, somebody needs to be the babysitter of the world. Somebody needs to, you know, keep an eye on all the kids. And who's not, who's going to do it if we don't do it? And I'm like, why should anybody do it? Like, and, you know, that goes back to the uh, Syrian thing of they use chemical weapons on their people. And it's like, just like you said, you're only mad about the chemical weapons because of the way that the people died. Yeah, the way yeah. that the people died. Like if they used a regular bomb, apparently you're totally fine with it. But because it was a chemical weapon, yeah, you can you can line up sixty people and shoot them in the head. You can put them all in one place and drop a bomb or blow up a bomb that's under them. That's nothing. That's but that's once you fine. use a chemical weapon, it's yeah, right. They saw a video and they got mad. Exactly, <laughs> kind of like the Muslims do. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> It's kind of it's it's really funny 
how, how these parallels kind of show up with violent people around the world. Right. <laughs> I saw a video I didn't like. Well, let me go kill somebody. Exactly. It makes no sense. No. So, like, I, I, I don't get the argument. I don't understand the argument. I just know the argument of that's what they think. They're just like, oh, well, we need to babysit the world. And if we don't do it, who's going to? And we don't need to be the babysitters of the world. We need to be the babysitters of America. Like, we just need to watch out here and make sure everything's good here. Like, there are so many issues going on here that we need to solve as opposed to going outward. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to, like, North Korea, like, the UN is looking, the UN is looking to China to be the, to be the uh, moderators here. And China is basically saying, this isn't on us. Like both these sides need to back down. There's, and if neither one of them do, this is just going to grow stronger and worse. And Japan's going to Russia and asking them for help. And this is just going to continue to let, let Russia do it. Right. <laughs> right. But the only reason Russia would, the only reason Japan's going to Russia is because of the brinksmanship that's escalating. And they're saying, we're going to need backup here. So, Hey, Putin, come here. <laughs> we need your help. And China's at the UN, you know, saying, hang on a second. I got written down. The responsibility does not lie with them. So, you know, let Kim Jong-un be little crazy Kim Jong-un and, you know, threaten to blast missiles, none of which have worked. And there's never been evidence that he can do it. And I know he said that, I know he said that he wants to um, do a missile test once a week, but they don't have the money for that. Where are they getting the money for that? Exactly. Yeah, we're the ones feeding them. Right. And I mean, granted, back in the 90s, his his dad, Kim Jong-il, let a million people starve because they didn't have food. And he said he denied taking uh, food from the UN because, as he said, once they figure out they can get food not from the government, they'll realize they don't need anything else from the government. If he just keeps shooting off missiles, eventually they're going to realize that this is costing them their food. Mm -hmm. And they will have to either stand up and attack or North Korea will just be no more. Yeah. Because yeah. there won't be anybody there to take over the military. Yeah. I always hear the, the, the rhetoric of um, Kim Jong being crazy enough to shoot the missiles at us if he had the capabilities. I just don't see that. I mean... We've always been been the country to do something. <laughs> Nobody else goes around and does what we do. Why are we suddenly say, doing this mental gymnastics of, well, yeah, he's crazy enough without any proof, really. Right. And it's like, okay, so North Korea supposedly is crazy enough. And then the same goes for the Ayatollahs and Muslims in Iran possibly getting nuclear weapons. And then everybody ignores the fact that India and Pakistan have been in plenty of wars while being armed with nuclear <laughs> weapons. And no crazy-ass Muslim in Pakistan decided to fire a nuclear bomb into uh, no. into India, especially when you have the Taliban right there that, hey, here's a nuke. Right. Go kill the infidels in India. Right. Or however they'd want to do it. I mean, it, it, 
It is mutually assured destruction. Exactly. Because once you once you pull that trigger, yeah. Then the reason everyone's worried is because then they'd have a leg up on defending themselves, which kind of goes into like the Second Amendment argument of we need a gun because the criminals have guns. I'm calling. I'm not calling us as a country criminals, but the the whole being armed up to the point of what your aggressor may have is going to keep both of you polite or keep the other guy from showing up on your, on your land. Right. Um, but yeah, I would sincerely, sincerely hope that he, uh, is really just playing brinksmanship and then just backs off when the time comes. Which one? Uh, Trump. This is all in the United States hands. Okay. Right, and I, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, I honestly don't know. I would like to think that Trump will back off if it's proven that. I hope that Trump has the wherewithal to back off when it's shown that North Korea actually can't do anything, and it's just like a petulant little child screaming, you know, having a temper tantrum at the mall. Um. Because otherwise, it's it's gonna get bad. Like for lack of any better or you know more well thought out response, it's just gonna it's gonna be bad. Like China's gonna get involved, Japan's gonna be involved, Russia will get involved, it, and it will just grow. People are worried about North Korea's conventional artillery. Well, it's artillery. It's right there. I mean, that's the whole point of artillery. If they haven't shot it off yet, there's no reason for them to shoot it off unless they're intimidated. That's the the honest way of looking at something like that. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, I know. I always read about the massive artillery batteries sitting right there. But if they haven't gone off yet, why would they go off now? No one's intimidating them except for us, you know. And on top of that, the few brigades we have in South Korea won't be able to stand up to any <laughs> anything that comes across those lines once we intimidate them enough. And neither would Japan, probably why they're talking to Russia. Um, where was I going to go? I lost my train of thought here. Um Oh no, I don't remember what I was. I don't remember what I was going to say there. Um, it was something involving, I guess, us really being so overstretched, we wouldn't be able to handle that kind of <laughs> meat shield coming towards us. It's right. Soviet-style tactics. <laughs> what? It's not like we won the first Korean War, which is technically still a thing. I was going to say. I mean, it's it's not over. Yeah. It's not like we won that. No, I mean... And we, we didn't win Vietnam. No. Even though some people want to claim we didn't lose or win, which makes no sense because it's like in Monty, they won. <laughs> it's like in Monty Python where... Uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail where uh, Arthur goes through and he uh, meets up with, I think it's the Black Knight... I haven't seen that movie in so long. And they have a uh, sword duel. And I can't think of what that word's called. <laughs> sword duel. And he ends up cutting off a du- the dude's arm, and then he cuts off like one of his legs, and the guy's hopping around. And oh. then he cuts off another leg and another arm, and the Black Knight just kind of looks around and goes, well, 
Let's call it a draw. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> um, but yeah, enough about North Korea. Right. Uh, um, let's talk about the death penalty with Arkansas and then finish it up with that this little thing I want to talk about. Okay. Yeah. So Arkansas killed uh, four people in the span of eight days, um, two of them on the same day, because of expiring drugs that they had to use, I guess. Um, so once the drugs expired, did it not kill them anymore? It probably does those nasty side effects that people don't like seeing uh, on people that are being killed with lethal injection. Because that's one of the things... They're under investigation right now in Arkansas because one of the inmates that was put to death um, was seen lurching in pain mm. by the by the witnesses that were watching the um, uh, the execution. Uh, so th- I would assume that's what that would do. I'm sure it would kill him. Maybe maybe not right away. I mean, I don't I don't like to guess about drugs. I don't know about right. And I mean, that's just. That's my thing on it is it if these drugs expired do does the person not die? Like you're you're killing another human being here. Yeah, like, yeah. It, Which is the, the the other silly part of that is we're killing you because killing people's bad. Right. Cuz it's different when we do it as a group, but it, it, like it, taxes. It's different when the state says you know what you deserve to die yeah yeah it's (laughs) it really makes no sense um blackstone's formulation i don't know if you ever heard it he says it's best that nine guilty go free than to kill one innocent life and that's just really one part of my philosophy. The other part really is as simple as killing people is bad. And it's no different if we do it as a group or not. Right. We can just keep them, put them through, put, just keep them for life without parole. That's it. You're locked up away from society forever. Don't don't make it easy on them by taking them out. Right. And, you know, I know about, you know, since I was raised a very staunch staunch Republican, not even conservative, just a staunch Republican. You know, I know all these arguments and they're like, well, why should we keep these people alive on taxpayer money um, for the next 40, 50 years? Yeah. As opposed to just offing them because they felt it was okay to off, you know, however many people, one, two, three, nine, whatever. And, I see that argument. I do. Like this person took it upon themselves to kill whomever. But at the same time, you're then lowering yourself to that guy's standard. Yeah. And you're saying, well, it was okay for him to do it. So I guess it's okay for us to do it. And at some point you have to realize that you need to be above yeah. that fray. Yeah. No, I agree with you on that. Um, where they killed, Four people in eight days, which um, is a lot more than usually happens. Yeah. <laughs> Four in eight days is a lot. But I will say Democrats and liberals 
also, I mean, being against the death penalty, sure, a lot more liberals tend to be um, against capital punishment, but I know I know enough liberals that are still for killing murderers. Yeah, I know. I mean, I know liberals that are for killing murderers, and I know uh, conservatives yeah. that are against it. There's a whole. There's an organization. If anybody's interested, it's called the um, Conservatives Concerned About the Death Penalty. Yep, and they have. A lot of reasons on why. And one of them actually is what you were just talking about is it actually costs more to kill somebody than to just keep him in prison for life without parole. Right. All the court costs, so on and so forth. Right. And really, you can reduce that cost by not punishing people for victimless crimes. True. You know, you, that, that'll, that'll get rid of about 80%. Well, yeah. Out of the total prison population, 80% of them are in there for victimless crimes, basically using drugs. The rest are in there for destroying property, stealing uh, a large amount, and killing people. Right. One of the family members of uh, the victims during the... Uh, when that execution happened said this, and this has fa- this is quite common... This may not bring closure to our family, but it might help. It might help. It might help. It doesn't bring closure because you, you lost you lost somebody and you're just angry and it's just retribution at this point. But once a person gets killed, it doesn't bring that person back. So no, if if the finances are the argument here, then you can easily, easily Make it easy for us to house all these people. All these people. There's not. I mean, hopefully, there's not that many murders in the I'm world. Hoping there's not a lot of people on yeah. death row. Yeah, we we should we shouldn't be as bad as them when it comes to that. Now, so here in here in Florida, we do have the death penalty. Yeah, we do. Um, we do have the death penalty, and a couple of years ago, uh, our wonderful state attorney general, the uh, the midget Pam Bondi. Um, she, there was a, there was an execution slated and she postponed the execution because she had a party to go to that night and didn't want to take time out of her day to go to the execution and ended up staying the execution for, I think it was a month. She should have kept partying. Right. Yeah. Just keep partying. Um, now personally, I think that was a very unfair thing to do to the family of the victim and an unfair thing to do to the person on death row. And I do get the argument that, yeah, he's on death row. He killed somebody, whatever. Like he doesn't, fairness doesn't really matter to him. But for her to just be like, oh, well, I really want to go to this fundraising event. So let's not kill him tonight. Let's kill him next week. Hey. That's unfair to the victim to the victim's family because, mm-hmm. like, that's something they're they're watching. Yeah, like whether they're yeah, looking forward to yeah. it or whether they're looking forward to it, whether they don't want it to happen, whether they do want it to happen. Yeah, they're whatever. holding their breath on it. Yeah, right. It's like that's you're just holding that person. You're just holding that person back from being able to move on a little bit more. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Happened. So, like, I do think that. 
if the death penalty is a thing. Okay. If it is a thing. And I'm not, I'm not for the death penalty. Okay. Um, but if it is a thing, stuff like that should not, should not happen. Because, okay, if you're the dude on death row, and I'm just guessing that out of the two of us is going to be you. <laughs> um, if you're the guy on death row and you're slated to die on the 30th of April. Um, and so the, you know, 29th is here, 30th comes in and the dude comes in and says, what do you want for your last meal? And you say, uh, hummus or whatever. And, and you get your hummus and then you're like getting all prepped and ready and making peace with, you know, your God or whatever. And then they go, Oh wait, Pam has something she needs to do. We're going to hold off. Yeah. Like, that's a bit uh, like that's just messing it's a, with yeah it's a mental fuck it, yeah it's a it, it's a mind fuck and you know still you know you're on death row for whatever reason you know so a lot of people don't really care about that but to the victims that are also look the victims families that are looking forward to it or fighting against it or whatever to them that's just like a how can you do that to somebody yeah like, how can you do that to us as the victims families not not even just us but to the guy that's in there that's like getting mentally prepared for this and then you're just gonna like say nope sorry yeah like you know at least have some consistency in it like it's not around your schedule yeah um i just want to mention something real quick that um my buddy brian said he says criminal justice equals jobs reduce prison population by 80 percent and then there will be a new recession how do you square that peg i don't have the numbers of people that work in the prison system um, and obviously anything that would involve the prison system, like making like the cooks or not even the cooks, um, making the clothing, transportation, so on and so forth. I don't have the number of the amount of people that would lose those jobs. But um, that argument, um, to me, I've heard it before, um, in, um, towards other topics like reducing the size of the military or reducing the size of the government. Human capital is just like any other resource. So once you get rid of these jobs, these people now would be free to get a new job somewhere else where they're needed. Um, the, the next topic that I'm going to quickly talk about is going to be how government forces people to act irrationally. So by having this this big overbloated uh prison system um it forces more people to want to get involved in the prison system by being corrections officers uh building new prisons yeah, so on say, opening private prisons yeah so on and so forth um or even if yeah and it it really works for even state state uh uh prisons too and jails um all these people would be free now to go get a new job, start a business of some kind, or go to school or get a trade. That's really what this comes down to. And it's okay for there to be a lull when a an, a sector or an industry or a company fails. Um, no, nobody should expect for their job to be there the whole time. 
You know, like it's the same argument people were making during the Industrial Revolution of you're making it too easy now to um, to make things. You know, now you need less people to make this, the cotton gen, making it, you know, um, Uber, you know, like there's always a new product. This is technological, though. Um, there was a new product or system or something that causes a particular sector or industry to um um to contract in an economy and they shouldn't expect a job right away that's as simple as it is that's that's reality in my opinion um and i think most people would be able to deal with that um i have um i'm sure this guy has when you move well never mind i don't know i think you moved to tennessee for something else but um I moved to Tennessee just to get out of Virginia. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And if if by that logic, uh, Brian, um, of you need this because it's it's jobs. Well, you can then you can make the argument for creating the departments of digging ditches and the department of filling the ditches. It's a job, but the only important jobs in society are the ones that add value to someone's life. Whether it's a bartender, somebody that puts phone together, somebody that designs a car, somebody that builds a windmill, that's actual value. These overbloated prison systems don't matter to anybody. You're just putting people in prison. And sure, you're giving them money, but uh, I doubt it would cause a recession. And honestly, they have to be able to deal with any sort of thing happening um, to them. I mean, whole countries have already gotten rid of capital punishment. It's not like they had any sort of big recession because they got rid of it. So I think he's more talking about uh, getting rid of the victimless crime. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But I'm taking it a step up. Okay. That's 100% of the prison population gone. And no recession in those countries linked to them abolishing capital punishment. Right. Not zero. Um, So let's continue on this topic of government making people act irrationally on the market. Uh, Let's see. Um, I put a few ones on here. So we were able to tie in the death penalty with that, thanks to Brian. Do you think the Department of Digging Ditches would pay the same as what an out-of-work lawyer can make. Um, the lawyers should should not be a protected group, and it shouldn't matter to them if... It re- Honestly, man. Um, Plus, there's also I different da- types of law that they could just go and practice. True. And hopefully with the economy restructuring and more people buying more businesses or whatever it may be, these lawyers find something else to do. But nobody sh- nobody should have their job protected is what I, where I'm trying to go through with this. Um, so there's a few other examples of the government um, forcing people to act irrationally. Um, one of them being, for example, let's talk about Canada and the Trump tar- tariffs. It's a 20% tariff on... Um, Canadian Canadian lumber lumber because this is a now a protected you know 
that now American lumber companies are now going to be technically protected. That's how this this is a protection um, group of people because now you're increasing the prices of buying lumber from Canada compared to buying the lumber here. You're putting it. You're basically putting it up on par when you put a tariff. You're trying to put it up on par or higher when when it comes to the imports. So you can make your domestic lumber cheaper. That's that's the whole point, or else there's no point to the tariff, really. But this tariff also was in response to uh, a, a tariff that Canada put in place on American dairy. Okay, that's, yeah, I mean... Right, I mean... I haven't is, read about that, but right, this that's is, that's always how protection wars work. That's how right. that's what happened with Smoot-Hawley smooth tariffs during the uh, right. Great Depression. I'm not saying, right, I'm not saying I yeah. agree with it. I'm just saying that this was done in retaliation of another event. That just shows to pr- that just that just goes to prove to us that tariffs are stupid. I'm the not, only thing you're doing is making your people poorer. Right, you're just making trade harder, you're just making uh goods cost more. Yeah. Whether the goods are better or worse, yeah. you're just in this case it cost more. for well, in this specific case for us it's going to be lumber. Now we're going to buy more now we're going to be pretty much buying more domestic lumber because it's going to be it's going to be cheaper because of the tariff. Um, but how many less homes is that, you know, and how much less lumber, how much less lumber is that now on the market here because of the prices? Um, how many, you know, fences, anything that involves lumber is now going to cost more. So now you're going to have less of it. Right. Um, no, uh, you're contradicting yourselves. Uh, please explain and I shall respond. Um, Another one is we just read about California, and they – or you tell me about this one. Uh, this week, two days ago? Two days ago, uh, the bill for single-payer health care in California passed its first committee uh, by a vote of five to one, where now it's going to move on to the second committee. Six people? Six people. Wow, What? Well, it's a Senate committee. <laughs> yeah, but California's <laughs> California's bigger than us. I thought they'd have more people on their committees. I don't know how many. I guess it depends on the state. Right. But, and, I'm sorry. Continue. Right. It depends on the state, and it depends on how many people they have in the Senate and whatever. But apparently, they've got six people in them, um, according to that vote. But they uh, passed the first uh, committee passed. Uh, by five to one to pass single single payer health care. It's now moving on to the second one to find out how much that's going to cost the state. And you know, a lot of people are saying, a lot of people are fighting it and whatever. Uh, a lot of people outside of California are fighting it. And if California wants single payer health care, I, I was going to say it's none of our business. Right, I don't care. Like California can have sing- uh, Massachusetts, like has Romney care. Which is basically single payer healthcare. Um, so if they want to do it on a statewide level, go ahead. Which is how personally I think health insurance should be handled on a state level instead of doing these federal sweeping mandates for the entire nation. So if California wants single payer, let California have single payer, but don't expect federal bailouts when your country's bankrupt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so like if, Nebraska wants a completely free market system and you can have as many here as you, you know, as many health insurance companies here as you want and, you know, increase the amount of competition and people can start getting the 
start getting the premiums and the policies and whatever that they're looking for, then they can find that there where in California, they're like, well, we don't want to have policies or premiums. We just want to go to a doctor and be able to sit down at the doctor and get looked at, you know, and the whole state pays for it and they vote for it and they say, yes, then, okay, well, California can have that, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be something on a nationwide level. So as people are fighting, as people are fighting uh, the California decision just to pass it through the first committee, it doesn't, it has absolutely zero effect on anywhere else in the nation. As long as California doesn't, look to the federal government to help bail them out when this crashes yeah Yeah. uh let me see what brian is saying here usa shouldn't be babysitter of the world should be babysitter of the united states adding tariffs to soft lumber imports makes american lumber more attractive means american firms can hire more out of the people coming over from the criminal justice industry uh sure but Everybody is now paying more for lumber, too. And that's where the the big issue is. Now you have less people using lumber because of that. So, yeah, they get to hire more people um, to sell lumber. But people are now paying more for whatever may involve lumber, whether it's fencing or houses or building boats to sail the world. That's that's my that's my honest that's really my honest opinion on it. Um, obviously, we prefer free markets here, um, and the prison industry going down would be a free market solution. Protections are not a free market solution. That's it. Never is. Right. Um, thing is, if if the United States, I'm sorry, we're not we don't do trade as a country. It's individual people and companies if the lumber industry in the united states can't compete with other countries then it doesn't need to exist anymore the same type of protections exist for the sugar industry today and because sugar in the united states costs more than it does in most of the world especially south america the reason people have corn syrup in their soft drinks is because of protections made for the sugar industry. They weren't able to compete with South America and the Caribbean. And because sugar is now so expensive, they found a substitute, and that substitute good ended up being corn. So it's not... There's going to be far-reaching ramifications than we can think of right now on in this podcast. Um. That happened to be corn syrup into soda, which is not as healthy technically as sugar, which sugar isn't even as healthy either, but less healthy and doesn't taste as good either. Makes people less happy. I like buying Coke at Low Tide Coffee Bar because they buy Mexican Coke with actual sugar. Right. Um, so that's my response on that. I'll try to answer your questions at the end of the show. Um, another one was, and I'd ha- believe it or not, I have no idea, no idea why I wrote this here. Um, uh, what was that? You told me right before the show started and then you wrote it down. I was like, oh yeah, that's good enough. And yeah. Now I don't remember <laughs> what it was. Um, but I can say, I guess I could say something about something else about that. 
uh, uh, I wrote down New York. Um, New York um, has some pretty high taxes. And over the last 10 years, as you know, Brian, um, Florida has outpaced New York population-wise to become bigger. So we're now bigger than New York. A lot of them are New Yorkers. And if you and it's not just the cold. Because if you look at any other cold state, they're not running in this in, in these large numbers as New Yorkers are to come here to Florida. And they're here now in Florida because we have less taxes. Definitely no no state income tax. Uh, typically lower taxes except for maybe property taxes, but sales taxes are lower. And we were able to entice more people to come here to Florida. Um, so these higher taxes in New York did nothing but hurt New York. People came here with their skills. People came here with their businesses. And that ended up helping us more than them. And now we got two more seats. And if you look at um, if you look at Virginia and North Carolina, I'm not sure about South Carolina, but their populations have been increasing as well. So like they're... There is a trend of people moving from the Northeast downward. Yeah, those are he- government-heavy states. Right. Yeah. So people are moving from the Northeast. They're coming down, and they're they're trying to leave the high taxes and the, the high populations and everything down to these lower, uh, lower taxed, lower uh, populated states. And now Florida, being more highly uh, populated than New York. Um, we're number three. Yeah. Yeah. We're number three. Um, so people are moving downward. Um, but they're also bringing the policies with them, which is beginning to cause problems in states like Virginia and North Carolina. And that's the sad thing. They maintain their, their culture of the love for the government, which is understandable, but it's like they don't know that's why they left. Right. <laughs> but they should know that's why they left. Um, Africa. Because uh, I read an article earlier this week talking about the poverty in Africa, what caused it. And it was talking about how poverty in Africa predates colonialism from the Western world. And it's the... It's not just the African country's love for socialism, and by that word I mean total socialism, not talking democratic socialism, which I still don't agree with. I'm talking actual socialism, where the government controls everything, there's one party running everything. Um, So it's not just their love of socialism, it's funny enough, because... Colonialism psychologically affected Africans so much they wanted to get rid of anything that was considered Western, which included stuff like free trade, private property, so on and so forth. Um, so, you know, even then, government is still forcing people to act rationally. Um, another one, which this one I, w- I would say have some experience with on a very small individual level when I was in the army. And I don't like talking about this too much sometimes because people will be like, well, you hate the poor and you want them to die on the side of the road, you know? And Florida Medicaid, they're going to be, Florida's going to be cutting the amount of money going into Medicaid. Um, 
here's the thing. When I was, you could, first of all, yeah, I'll talk about Canada again afterwards. But well, I said I can talk about Canada first. Canada, Canadians and Europeans will typically come here to the United States to get certain procedures done because it's a lot easier to come here and pay for it and get it done. On top of that, when I was in the army as a medic, and you can ask any medic that's served in any of the branches, um, when you have free healthcare, there is no responsibility any longer on you to actually be sick when you come in. You can just come. Right. I even saw it as a registrar at St. Anthony's Hospital. I'm not saying everybody that uses Medicaid is bad. Of course not. And some of them, do they need it? Yes, they do. But the amount of people I've seen show up here, well, show up into my emergency room with nothing but a bellyache is kind of sad. I'm like, okay, well, you're the reason that healthcare is so expensive because you're coming here, you're filling up a whole bed, and they don't know how many people it takes to take care of a sick person in a hospital especially when they come into the emergency room. You come into the emergency room, you have the registrar, you have you have a patient care tech that does their vitals, you have another registrar that finishes up their um, in-hospital paperwork, you have the nurse, you have the doctor, and then if they need x-rays, they'll get the x-rays, so on and so forth, for a bellyache. And they have Medic- Medicaid. Right. And it's like, okay, well, you have no responsibility to pay for it, so you're going to use it, you know? You want to get out of, whether, you, you know, I was going to say, if you want to get out of work, sure, go to the hospital, or not, it doesn't matter. Instead of going out of their way to try to help themselves now, they're just going to go to the emergency room to try to take care of their bellyache. Yeah, it sucks having a bellyache. I'm not saying, not belittling that, but it puts a strain on the whole system when now you have so many people come in so many times for things that they could have done at an urgent care center, family practice doctor, so on and so forth. Um, But government typically does force people to act irrationally in a market. Um, Chocolate-covered (laughs) pickles you know let's let's say some guy i would try that a congressman yeah a congressman has um, chocolate factories and pickle making factories (laughs) in his uh in his area and he wants to help him out or they ask him to help them out so he comes up with the idea of combining both to for whatever reason and he puts it forth in Congress, sells it. Now, now it's um, uh, what you call it. So now the government's subsidizing it. What happens? I don't. I don't want to drag this out too long. Once, once the government starts subsidizing this idea of um, what you call it, chocolate-covered pickles. <laughs> now the now everyone's going to start being like, well, hey, there's a lot of money now going in this industry. I'm going to start making chocolate. I'm going to start making pickles. I'm going to open a store to do it. And that just starts altering the market. And now more resources of pickles start going to the people that are covering them in chocolate than in my mouth, which is not the best thing ever because it 
they should be in my mouth instead of being covered by pickles. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. <laughs> uh, Wally shots fired. Oh, just, that's from that's from a while ago. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's 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 this is my whole argument. At the end of the day, is government doesn't really help anybody when it comes to them interfering with the market the way they do. Whether it's them providing a free something or them providing a tariff or them doing whatever, I have still yet to see any good way that the government has actually helped somebody with their interference. If anything, it always ends up being worse. Yeah. I would have to agree with that. All right. Well, that pretty much does it for today. Uh, If you all wouldn't mind sharing this video or you can find our soundcloud just the audio of this uh if you wouldn't mind sharing that that would be awesome as well we'll have that out to you in probably about an hour um you can follow us on facebook at facebook.com backslash muddied waters of freedom at on instagram at instagram.com slash muddied waters of freedom or on twitter at muddied underscore waters or you can just go over and play around on our new website, muddiedwatersoffreedom.com. And we'll be looking. I've had two people send me writing samples. People are interested in writing for us, which is pretty cool. Not something I thought was going to happen. Um, so we'll see how we're going to be going forward with that. It'll be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll answer the rest of your questions uh, after we do the outro brian all right so um let's do a bull yeah. since we both have some kind of a list shells up bull bulla you got anything else um i don't have anything else um if anybody has any questions as usual whether it's economic or political please economic um feel free to send us a question send privately on our page here and we'll do our best to answer it if you have any more um uh whatchamacallits um if you have any suggestions please feel free to share when is our next guest coming on and who is it uh it is either steve edmonds from hemp for water or caleb franz from mill liberty okay Okay, cool i'm not sure which one's next next week not next week the week after is that are any of them open to doing it next week um we'll ask i don't know okay cool couldn't tell you i scheduled them for the second week in may and the third week in may i just don't remember which one's which okay that's all right no worries that's perfect okay well all right guys remember where we're going we don't need roads